you might notice the title I called the sermon today was The End with a question mark because this is the end of this book, but it's not the end of the story. And if you'll notice, <laughs> we're covering some serious ground here in one week, which is Acts 21 through 28. And if you noticed earlier in the summer, we were doing, you know, one chapter at a time or things like that, you know. But the reason is because all of this section of the book is basically one big story. And I'll breeze through it a little really quick, and then we will um, talk about just some details that I think are kind of concluding remarks on the whole study of the book of Acts that we've been doing this whole summer. And if you're interested and you haven't heard any of this, it's all on our website and on our podcast. You can go back and listen to anything that we might reference that you don't know. But so here's the deal, guys. The book of Acts, if you remember, is a lot is how the church got started um, right at the beginning. It picks up kind of in the middle where it starts to focus mostly on what Paul's doing. And this last whole chunk is about Paul getting arrested in Jerusalem and the journey that he has to Rome. Okay, and. Paul is being led by the Spirit of God, and you can see in Acts 20, 20, okay, Acts 20, 22 through 24, um, this is Paul speaking, and now compelled by the Spirit, this is a Spirit compelling him, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That's going to be the thing that we're mostly focusing on today. So people urge him, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. And there's a lot of different pr- things that people are praying. Like, hey, if we, I'm pretty sure if you go there, you're going to get arrested. And um, we don't know what's going to happen to you. And Paul finally responds again. He's like, he's like or uh, in Acts 21, you can see a response. This is, the, this is Luke. The when we heard this and we were, we and the people pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. When he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. So Paul's pretty set on going to Jerusalem because God is telling him to do it. And he also knows that he's going to be arrested when he gets there. And so he gets there and he is arrested. And it's some kind of trumped up charges. And this whole cat, this whole list of events starts to happen where um, – Paul's arrested, then they're going to beat him, then, he cl- then he's like, now I'm a, I'm a, he's like, hey, you're going to beat me because I'm a Roman citizen. They're like, what, you're a Roman citizen? I thought you were just a Jewish guy. Like, what am I going to do? And then the guy comes up and challenges him, and he's like, yeah, okay, I, I'm a Roman citizen, but it cost me a lot of money, you know, to be one. How much did you pay? And he's like, I was born this way. And the guy's like, oh, no. And so this whole mess starts happening. Paul, and so uh, Paul uh, ends up uh, in prison and then this interesting thing happens in Acts 23, um, 23, 11, you see this. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. And if you have one of the Bibles that does this, these words are read, which is Jesus standing there talking to him. The same Jesus who came and knocked him off the donkey earlier and said, hey, why are you persecuting me? This is the last time we see like an account of Jesus actually speaking to Paul. And he tells him this, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. So that's Jesus saying that to him. And so he knows something. And so in this whole being arrested, da 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 da, he finally goes before these courts. There's, again, a lot of politicking and trump up charges and things. And he says, okay, as a Roman citizen, I appeal to Caesar, which he has the right to do. And they go, okay, you're going to go there then, I guess. And so 
He gets on a boat. They're taking him. He says, hey, guys, God showed me it's not a good idea to go. They go, we're going to go anyway. And then they get shipwrecked. And he's like, well, and then they're like, we're going to have to kill everybody. He's like, no, don't kill everybody. God shows me we're all going to get, you know, we're going to be fine. We just got to stick together. And then they get to there. And then, you know, it's like this whole crazy set of events where Paul's basically telling everybody this is what's going to happen. They go, ah, and then they do it. And then it does happen. And they go, oh, no, you know. And then the funny thing is they get shipwrecked on an island. And Paul, um, so now they've all, Paul's got everybody's attention because he's like a boat full of people. He's a prisoner, but it's like kind of different than it is a little bit now. Like he's a prisoner, but he has like people with him and stuff. And he's on this boat of people they're taking to um, to Rome to stand trial and stuff like that. And um, these soldiers that aren't listening to him, now they've shipped. Everything he said has happened. They show up on an island, and it's in the middle of the winter, and there's a guy who has an estate there. And it's like, hey, guys, I guess we'll let you hang out for the winter because you shipwrecked here, you know, that kind of thing. And so, but that guy's dad is sick. So Paul's like, okay, I'll pray for this guy. And he gets well. And they're like, oh, wow, this is great. And so then they have this whole great time while, you know, so Paul, this whole, this whole journey that he's moving through, like he's a prisoner, but he's still doing this works of God. He's still healing people. They're still having, you know, he's still teaching about God. And then he eventually gets to Rome and Paul's under house arrest and he talks with more and more dignitary type folks. He makes more cases for God and all this kind of stuff. And then the book ends. Then it's just kind of over. And it starts to kind of, you kind of start to say, well, well, did he, did he appear before Caesar? I mean, like, did that happen? And it's not in this book. I think that you can assume that he did for two reasons. One is <laughs> Jesus told him he would. So that's a good one. But the other thing is you do see that um, Paul's still doing stuff. He sits there for a couple years still meeting with people, still praying with people, still sharing about Jesus and all this kind of thing, even though he's arrested and he's in prison, a house arrest and all. But you can see he's, he's writing letters still to people. Some of these we still have. And like in Philippians, you see all God's people. He's in Philippians 4.22. He's just, this is kind of, sometimes at the end of these books, there's like these lists of greetings where he's like, oh, yeah, hey, guys. And this guy says hi. And hey, next time you come, can you get me my coat? Like stuff like that. And they're still in there. It's kind of funny. And this one, he says, all God's people here send you greetings, especially those belonging to Caesar's household. So you get a good chance that like he was at least in Caesar's household talking to everybody. And I suspect that he did accomplish this, um, this mission that Jesus told him he would. We don't know exactly what happened to Paul. There's a lot of tradition in the church. Some people think he went on to Spain. Other people think he was beheaded. There's a, it, it doesn't, the point is the book ends here. And you go, why did the book end? This is another thing people speculate, because, like, this is the second part. We have the Gospel of Luke, and then you have this book, and they fit together. So, like, the first part is all about Jesus, what Jesus was doing, and the second part is all about the church and what the church was doing, and then there's this dead end all of a sudden right at the end, you know. And some people think that that's because Luke died, and he just didn't finish it. Other people think, um, more. I think more likely is that, you know, some people think that it was written just purely as a legal defense for Paul. Like, Paul's in the, in, he's arrested, he's in Rome. And this guy's like, hey, I'm going to write all this stuff down so you can see, like, what this guy was really doing, you know, so that you won't, you know, pr prosecute him or whatever. And then other people think it's more likely that it's a general legal defense for, like, all Christian, early church Christian people. It made it was like a legal, it was a collection of legal precedences for, you know, that this, to say these people aren't incompatible with Rome and all this sort of thing. Either way, what we want to think about today is that this leaves the big story unfinished. And it's kind of good that it does. It's not a they lived happily ever after sort of ending. It ends more like um, what I was thinking was like a relay race. And uh, you, you see this language in Paul 
the verse we just read, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying the good news of God's grace. And another place where Paul actually references something that's kind of, I mean, it's kind of funny. Today's the last day of the Olympics, and this is kind of, Paul makes a reference to something that's kind of like the, it's not the same exact thing, but it's like there was Olympic-type games back then. And in 1 Corinthians, he makes a reference to this. Do you not know that the race all, that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do, not, they do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I, I do not fight like a boxer beating air. So Paul is saying, I need to finish my race. And then the story ends which I think is kind of like a handoff and a baton relay. And that's where we come in. And if you saw yesterday, the U.S. women's team won this 4 by 400 relay by like a lot. They were like super fast. And I think that that's the kind of thing Paul's talking about. This is the image. It's just so free. It's so easy to reference because this is just happening. Like we're in a relay race that God has called us to be a part of. Paul has done his part, and he's passing the baton on. And he passed it on to other people. They passed it on to other people. And then it's kept going till now people have passed it to us. And it's our turn to run our part of the race. And our mission is the same as Paul, is to complete the task the Lord has given us, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Okay? This is what our, it's our time to do that. So I'm going to take a couple notes, just things from Acts that we've learned regarding this. Because I see patterns. And this is not exhaustive. This is just the things that stuck out to me. Because it's a catalog of similar stories over and over and over again. And this is the church. Again, this is part of who we're part of. We're part of this. We're part of this relay. We're in it. The story's not over. We're still in it. We're still writing parts of it, you see? Pattern is, I see this. People hear the good news, okay? They hear the good news. They understand. They believe it. Meaning they're like, oh, my gosh, I see now what's going on. They repent of their sins and their life, what they've done to that point. They're baptized by water and then the spirit of God, which represents the death and resurrection. Like I'm leaving this old life behind and I'm accepting this new life, this new birth that Jesus talks about to live as a citizen of his kingdom. And then they share the truth about that. Like this has changed me. Like there's a mark in the ground. I'm different now. This was this is how the things way things were. Things are different now. And I'm going to tell you about it because it's they call it good news. <laughs> That's the pattern I see for all of us to do our part in a relay. And a few notes, again, that stick out to me. One is this. As I was looking through, I was praying through and thinking back through all these messages we've done, all the podcasts, just the book of Acts in general, these things jumped out to me. Again, it's not exhaustive. One is this, that God uses people to do all this stuff. And it's all sorts of people, okay? It's not just gifted people or talented people, or rich people, or educated people. And it's not just poor people either. It's kind of everybody. That's who's involved, is everybody. John Wimber is famous. He, he led the Vineyard Church for years, and he had a phrase that said, everybody gets to play. It's, this is how the kingdom of God works. It's not just for a few people and everybody else to watch. Everybody's involved in it, you know. And I think you can kind of see this example if you look at, um, kind of two of the main guys in this book, if Peter and Paul, like Peter is a fisherman. He's not educated in all the ways of, you know, society. He's got a decent job. 
but he's a hardworking guy. He knows how to fish, and he's good at it. And Jesus goes, that's the rock I'm going to build my church on. That's an important job, you know. And like, okay, you know, well, I guess everybody needs to be a fisherman or some sort of like blue-collar job or what. It's like, no, that's not it at all. That's that guy. God needs him. That's it. And then you come over here to Paul, in contrast, very educated, very well-connected, very all of this stuff. And he is the one that God's like, I need him to be my apostle to the Gentiles. And he's like, because I think that's, th- because God is like, that's the guy who needs to do it. And that's just the way it is. And you can see just from those two guys how the, the differences between them, there's not a lot of pattern there in the sense of, okay, let's check off the box. Do I meet up with this? It's like God is laying out an idea that he's using all these people. And then people like Stephen and people like all the Ananias and Sapphira, all, all, I mean, or not, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> wrong, wrong group. The, uh, um, who are the tent makers? I can't think of their name right now. Priscilla and Aquila. Yeah, there we go. It's like people like that. Like he's using everybody. So anyway, that's the big thing. God is using everyone. And 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 so the second thing is this, that the good news, this gospel must be testified. You see this in Paul saying the race of testifying the good news. And I think that when we hear testifying, it needs to be more than just like an argument. And you definitely see it's a big thing that these guys are doing. They talk about Apollos. They talk about uh, um, Paul. and uh, like A lot of what they were doing was going into synagogues and stuff and debating with people because they're going like, Jesus, yeah, we heard about that guy. He was kind of a flake, right? They're like, no, 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 he's the Messiah we've been waiting for. And they're like, what? And then you gotta, they get into this kind of like scriptural debate to say like, no, no, he, he's, like, he's doing all these things. But it was a lot of that going on, you know. But that's not specifically what I'm meaning by testifying. What I mean by testifying is there's one thing to say, I believe in this, or I give some sort of what we call like mental assent. Like, I will agree with you that this is true, that this Jesus is who he's saying he is and everything. There's another thing, which I'm going to call testifying, which is we're saying because of that, it includes that, my life is now different Blah. This in this way, in a way that other people notice. You can either talk about it or they can just tell. That's what I'm thinking about testifying. It's saying a difference between I'm going to give into this argument and now I'm going to base my entire life on it. There's a gap between those two things. It's not just accepting Jesus. It's now your life is now reborn around that. It would say something like hearing and showing. Or as Jesus, Jesus himself taught this pattern because he was presenting himself as the Messiah through what he said and what he did. He would say, I am this. You've seen this fulfilled in your thing. Like he's saying, I am Jesus. I am God, which is, whoa, okay. And then he's also healing people. He's also, like, he's saying, like he sends that word back to John the Baptist. The, the freedom's being preached to the poor, blah, blah, blah. This whole list of things that he's saying, which were fulfilling scripture. And he's doing all of those things. And that's making the case for himself. And that's our job to do the same thing now. By the way I'm living, by the way I'm treating people, by the way I talk about God, the way I think is now so affected by who Jesus is that I'm different. And that's part of my testimony. The kind of thing that like our lives should make little sense or no sense to people that don't understand this good news. Okay? Like if you could say, take my entire life, hold it up. Now let's remove God from it. Does anything change? If the answer is no, then you're doing it wrong. It should change a lot. Like it should go, well, this wouldn't make sense. And this you might still do because you're nice, but not really, you know, like, there should be a lot of that. Like if you remove the God element, your life shouldn't make sense anymore. Your value shouldn't make sense anymore. It should be that saturating of everything. 
Not that you've got a little spiritual life over here in a box that you can just kind of, that's where I do the God thing and everything else is my own. That's not how it works. It's rebirth to where it's everything and it's going to affect everything, control everything even. And so we shouldn't be surprised that people that don't know the good news about Jesus are confused by our lives. The Bible even promises that they will be. And that's actually totally okay. We don't need to be jerks about it, but, you know, it's not to be a surprise, you know. And also sharing this good news with people. And what is it? I think there's a couple scriptures here that are really good to remember that, you know, where we have Paul saying this. One is Second Timothy 2, 8 through 9. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. So this is where he's laying out the gospel, the good news. And there's a lot packed into these few words. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. He's saying he's the Jewish Messiah. This is my gospel. And another one is longer. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. He's sending this to be a little bit correcting, so he's reminding them. Okay, but... We can still benefit from this, which you received and on which you've taken your stand by this gospel. You are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain for what I received. I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is first importance. This is Paul now talking first importance. Okay, gospel. That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as the one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace in me is not without effect. No. I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believe. So this is the insight into what Paul was doing. Again, it's not like we, we probably don't need a reminder of this, but we're just going through it really quick as kind of a recap. That Jesus is the focus. Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is redeeming the world, and Jesus is judging the world. But he offers fr- he's coming to judge the world. And he offers freedom from this judgment lane relationship with God through his life on his cross and the resur- through his work on the cross. And Jesus' resurrection proves this all to be true. That's why he keeps starting there. It's like, yes, he died in accordance with the scriptures, but he rose again. And that's the whole thing. And you see in another one of Paul's letters that he's like, if that didn't happen, why are we even doing any of this? You know, if he was just a really good guy that showed us a really way to good, nice way to live, there's, it's like, whatever, okay, great. There's a lot of great people in the world that we could study. But when Jesus dies and then three days later raises, raises up again to be alive again, not a historical figure, a current figure. This is important stuff. Because you can think, well, Jesus 2,000 years ago. No, Jesus now, you see. Jesus is alive now. That changes everything because we, death doesn't have to be something we're afraid of anymore. Because we live forever because Jesus says so, you see. If we put our faith in him. And we don't have to be slaves to sin anymore because Jesus is setting us free from that. And all of it hinges on the fact that he's alive now. Because if he isn't, 
He's just a really nice guy. But if he is alive, he's God. Tim Keller said that he was reflecting. I'd mentioned him before. He's that pastor who had gotten cancer and it caused him to re- reflect on things um, in the last year or so uh, as he's kind of you know, dealing with that and maybe dying. And he was saying that it suddenly dawned on him, you know, that he would summarize it all, that if Jesus Christ really rose from the dead, everything's going to be all right. Like, that, that is the thing that makes proves everything he says. He's like, I, I'm cool with that. You know, it doesn't mean, like Paul's writing most of this stuff from prison. It doesn't mean everything's going to work out in this life the way we think it will. Like, we'll all just be rich and lay out on the beach all the time, and it's just great. That's not what it means. It means that this stuff, prison or whatever, doesn't bother us the same way anymore because the truth is we're free and we'll live forever with Jesus. And so any of this stuff just doesn't affect us the same way anymore. We still don't enjoy it, but it doesn't matter. We're not afraid of it anymore. It doesn't control us. And that this announcement of who Jesus is leads to people's conversion, where we will repent. People go, oh, my gosh, I didn't know that about Jesus. If that's who Jesus is, that's who I want to be. Like, I want to follow him. I want to give my life to him, that kind of thing. And you can look at conversion. This is an, I want to say this really quick, because I think if you look at Peter and Paul again, Throughout the book of Luke and Acts, Paul's conversion is the kind of thing we're used to talking about these days in our culture. That, like, there's a really bad guy, then he encounters Jesus, and then he's like, oh, my gosh, and then he changes everything. And he's completely different, like, immediately. And we're like, when were you saved? Like, this day. (laughs) Like, Paul, Paul knows that. You know, like, this was the day I was saved. You know, this is Jesus stood for me. We, we, we get that. And I think our culture in America, our church culture, really gets this. You know, decisions for Jesus kind of thing. Like, it makes sense. And that's totally good. It's great. It's awesome. And a lot of people experience that. And some of the most radical disciples we see, like Paul, experience things that way. But again, in a contrast, I want you also to think about Peter, whose conversion was kind of different, where you see, rather than this one remarkable moment of encountering Jesus, he's encountering Jesus First off, a lot more, but it's like in little ways he's converted every time, you know, and then he sometimes <laughs> slips back, you know. If you said, what exact moment did Peter become a Christian? You could probably make some arguments in specific moments, you know, like, well, what about when Jesus says, like, who do you say I am? And he's like, well, you're the Messiah. And he's like, the Holy Spirit has revealed this to you. And then Jesus is like, okay, and because of that, you know, I'm going to tell you some of the deeper stuff that, like, I'm going to have to go and suffer. And then Peter's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Cut out all that part. Like, let's, let, let, don't be telling everybody that part because that makes me uncomfortable. And Jesus literally says to him right after, you you know, the Holy Spirit has shown this to you, you're special and all this. Thing, get behind me, Satan. Be like, was he saved there? I don't know. You see, like, my point isn't to, like, my, like, let's dig through this and find the moment because I don't know if it really matters. My point is there's a lot of people that encounter God all at once, like Paul. And that's great. We celebrate that. But we also celebrate the little conversions every day, where Peter was being convinced and convinced and convinced. This is who he says he was. So you see that after this whole time of being with Jesus in Acts, Peter is moving in the power of God and being able to explain this is that. And I'm going to tell you this. this The existence of this and the fact that this ex- this happens is not a cop-out. That doesn't mean like, yeah, I'll hang out and if I feel like it later. <laughs> That's not how this works, okay, guys? But if you're struggling with things, you're able to do that, okay? When God, when God does this, it's, let's just keep this in mind. When 
God does this thing to Paul. It's God that does it. It's Jesus that does it. And it's his choice to do it that way. And when Jesus does this thing with Peter, it's Jesus doing it. And Jesus doesn't give up on him. Even when Peter denies him, G- Peter, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, no way. Then he does. And Jesus still doesn't give up on him. So both of these things are happening in our midst. And so when you're working with people and sharing this good news and they don't have this Paul experience, they have more of this, don't give up on them because they're important in this story too. So, Kayla, come on up here. The last two things are this. The, whole, the book of Acts, I think, makes it very clear. And we talked about this extensively last week, so we're not going to labor this point but that the Holy Spirit is necessary as a believer. The, the, the Holy Spirit within us, the power of the Holy Spirit within us is necessary for belief. There's not like a, a section in the church where you're like, yeah, I don't do that. David Paulson says the only thing that, he said that what he sees in Acts is the only thing that really constitutes mission are the things that the power of the Holy Spirit does. And he thinks that's the message of the book of Acts, that it's God using people to do God things in this world. You can't just try harder to do that, like we talked about last week. Which brings in the gifts of the Spirit, all of them, and the fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. Like That's the kind of stuff that your life starts to look like, uh, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing is this, that we have to share what we have. And I'm not primarily meaning material things, though that does part of it especially when you look back towards the beginning of Acts and it's describing how people are living and they're taking care of the people that have needs. That is part of it. But it's like when you see in Acts 3 when Peter says like to the guy who's, that they, they're going to heal the lame man, silver and gold I, ha- I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk and, and the guy gets healed. But it's the main thing I want us to hold on to is like, but what I do have I give you. And that's the good news of who Jesus is and the miracles that happen because of that. And so this end is really our beginning. It's our turn. We take this baton, and it's our turn to live as the church right now. And it will be our time to pass it on to somebody else when we're done. It's not all about us. This is all about God's kingdom, and it's all about Jesus. And it doesn't matter if we're in prison. It doesn't matter if COVID is happening and we all are staying home because we don't, you know, it's none of that matters. This is what matters. And Acts challenges us because it shows us what we can be. Paul's challenging us in 1 Corinthians to run in such a way to get the prize. And if I don't know if y'all are paying attention, but they would do these little videos during the Olympics. They would show like, you know, this person, like, I don't know, like Caleb Dressel was like from Jacksonville and all. You know, it's like, here's what my life's like. And you're like, whoa, like this is what you do. You know, and Paul's talking about that. Like they focus on this kind of stuff. They're focused. And focus kind of necessarily means we do fewer things, you know, less of this junk and more of this focus. Smaller but better, less but better, you know, with it all being focused on Jesus. And so I think Paul and this book of Acts that we've been going through has been a challenge to us as a church and as individuals and as families and as believers in Jesus. And it's not to say gosh, we really are not good at this. (laughs) It's to show us this is what it can be like. This is what it's supposed to be like. And that we're carrying the baton 
that Paul carried 2,000 years ago, and it's our turn now. And not to look back and go, man, remember how it used to be. I wish we could be like that. It's like, no, we can be because Jesus is still alive. Paul isn't, but Jesus is. And so in in light of all of that, we're going to conclude this time um, today and this whole summer studying the book of Acts, celebrating communion. And today we're going to have to use, again, because of COVID, we're going to use these. uh, We don't typically like doing this, but we don't want to. You know, we're going to use these little cups. So if you're in in the building, go ahead and come and get one. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read this scripture. And if you're at home, gather with the things you have. It doesn't have to be bread and juice, but something. <laughs> and so Jesus left us with this to do, this taking of communion, which is his supper. It's eating of his body and blood, and it's honoring him. And this is in 1 Corinthians Paul also writes this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. It's now passed on to us. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. This is the thing. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, Father, we do this in remembrance of you. We honor you and we celebrate you. And we experience this tangible representation that these two elements, bread, wine, and whatever, wine and juice, uh, they require human effort to make. And it's this whole story of Acts, this whole story of what you're doing is word made flesh, is word through your people, which we humbly accept to being your people, Father. And I pray that as we eat this bread and drink this cup, Lord, that you would make real to us um, your death and resurrection and our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. So take it while she sings a song.